I'm Dino Busalaki, the Chief Technology Officer and OT Guy at Delta Technology. Hi, I'm Jim, the COO and IT Guy. And I'm Craig Duckworth, President and CEO. You're listening to the Industrial Cybersecurity Insider Show. In each episode, we bring you the inside scoop on the world of industrial cybersecurity. We talk about everything you don't know. That you should know. So plug in and power up. The show's about to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of our podcast. My name is Craig Duckworth, and I am the president of Belta Technology. Today, we have the esteemed honor of our guest, Dave Purdy, with us. Dave, give us a little bit of introduction about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Craig, thanks so much for having me. My name is Dave Purdy. I've been in the uh, critical infrastructure industry since the mid-'80s. And in the last couple of years, I've shifted into the uh, OT space, and I'm fo- focused on operational technology and cybersecurity currently. Fantastic. The industry as we are in today with operational technology and the industrial space, industrial networks, is really beginning to heat up. Organizations are taking notice of it. How did you make the move into this? What led you to industrial side? Most of the people today that we run into, even in our space, are from an IT side. What made you choose the dirty industrial side from just from an operational working standpoint? Yeah, I'm going to maybe give you a surprise answer to this question, and it's not meant for drama. Nothing would surprise me. Nothing would <laughs> surprise me. It, uh, it really goes back to a pivotal point in my career. And I did come from the IT side over 30 years in the IT side with two large IT companies. But the World Trade Center bombing created a sense of purpose in my career. I'd been doing disaster recovery, high availability computing solutions in the 80s, 90s. And and after the World Trade Center bombing, I spent uh, eight, nine years of my career just working with critical infrastructure, protecting it, making it more resilient. Fast forward another decade, decade and a half, I was kind of on the cusp of retirement. December, uh, this coming December will be two years ago. And I met this company, TX1, and I was inspired by what they're doing to try to protect corporations from threat actors and protect our very fragile industrial environments. So that it's kind of become a passion project for them. That is amazing to hear. And it kind of goes back to our model as well. We're doing it for the right reasons. We're doing it to protect the country, to protect the homeland that we live in, we work in every day, the schools our children go to. So hats off to you. Appreciate it. I know you, Dino and Jim, are driven by the same motivations. So that's... Yep. No, we are. Yeah, perfect. I want to talk about a couple of different things in the market that we see today. Some pressing challenges, some things that we together, if you could share, as you're looking at current opportunities and clients that you're working with, what's some drivers in the market that organizations are really beginning to take notice of and say, hey, you know, we better do something. We can no longer bury our heads in the sand, or we can no longer ignore this. We have to change. What would you say is driving part of that? Yeah. Hey, the easy answer, the the kind of sexy answer would be throw out something like ransomware. And that's on the list. And it's a long list of things to be concerned about. But For sure. I, I tend to not want to focus on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I do think there's a lot of like false sense of security and confidence and complacency out there on this topic. But if I want to get very specific, the common scenarios that our customers are struggling with is how to protect legacy and outdated systems. Many of these environments are 5, 10, 15, 20 years old, relying on protocols that have been around for Modbus, I think, just had its 43rd anniversary or 44th birthday, something like that. 
The interconnectedness of industrial control systems generally has proliferated. And then I alluded to this, but really lack of security awareness. How do we solve this problem? I think for me, those would be the top three challenges that are very common across almost all of our customers and prospects. Yeah, and I I would say that we would agree with that. We're seeing the biggest, I guess, lack of concern is visibility. Organizations don't have the visibility. Organizations don't have a way to protect those legacy systems that you mentioned. In the industrial space, I think it would be very common knowledge. We all recognize that the infrastructure, the devices, the PLCs, the machines are measured in decades. Unlike on the IT side, where you could easily have a complete data refresh from technology every three, five, at the longest, seven years. Right. So it's a complete different environment. So, you know, I agree with that. 100% 100% yeah. also. Absolutely. True. True that. So are there certain hurdles that you guys are seeing where organizations still just don't get it? Are there things that, you know, and, and we see this, clients are really still struggling to, to make the right choices, I would call it. The interesting thing for me, and I like this metric, I frequently see this quoted or stated at, at trade shows and in the press. Um, that there's this huge shortage of IT cybersecurity talent. And I've seen numbers from three to five million job openings. In the OT space, the shortage of skills is even more pronounced. So it's definitely a specialized area. Like I said, I've come from the IT to the OT side, but having done that for as long as I have, just the resource limitations for the skills that can even go out and address this problem is a huge, huge challenge for our customers uh, in the event they even recognize the risk is how do I solve this problem? And then the other thing, unlike IT security, OT security can't be introduced at the uh, at the cost of impacting operations, right? Uh, these companies are making money based upon physical goods they're producing uh, or, or oil they're refining, um, things of that nature. So I think the balance of how do you balance security and business priorities in this setting where you have to go into an industrial environment and make changes. They don't want to impact that operation. That security and business availability pendulum is very yeah. difficult to navigate, in my opinion. You know, I struggle that from a sales motion on our side and with other organizations. The first objection that anybody's going to pitch is, well, we don't have funding for that. We can't afford that. I hear we can't afford that. And then as an accountant background, my first response is I'm going to the SEC filing for your 10K and I'm going to look and see what your margins were last year. And if you're making 30, 40% or you have a record year of earnings, the I can't afford it, that doesn't hold much water with me anymore. So I think that organizations really need to begin prioritizing and making it important enough that the boards down through the executive leadership are taking notice and making actions happen. You can no longer, you have to walk the walk and talk the talk. You can't just talk the talk. It doesn't fly anymore. Craig, one thing, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. One thing I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic about is I am starting to see like audits. I am starting to see people probing on what your what type of OT security preparations have you made? Or, hey, why has our cyber insurance gone up 400%? Or why am I not, why is my carrier not even going to renew my policy? So I agree. This is not as mainstream as it needs to be. It's a 
hugely underserved marketplace. But I'm a little bit optimistic that people are starting to wake up to the very real impact. And these are not not especially costly solutions to put in place, Uh, not if they're done in an appropriate risk appropriate manner. But I'm a little bit optimistic, but there's a long way to go for sure. Yeah, there is. And we're seeing some of the same things, Dave. We're seeing especially the insurance initiative where organizations are realizing that's no longer a backstop, that they cannot just have that as their complete fail safe, that it needs to be a part of their risk mitigation, needs to be a part of their risk plan, but it can't be all their eggs in one basket because you're right. The rates, the policy rates are going up two, three, four X. The exclusion list is getting longer by the day. That's if the organization is able to obtain coverage. Yeah, absolutely. Hopeful for the future, Craig. Hopeful. Yes. And same with us. But And we're seeing the same things on our side. Are there certain steps that you and the TX1 teams are taking to help organizations combat some of the things we've just discussed, the legacy systems, the ability to put devices in that give them visibility and help them with the insurance, the business risk, and the protecting the infrastructure as we go forward? Yeah. A couple of minutes ago, you mentioned one of the important needs is to have visibility into the problem, have a recognition of the problem. And, and visibility can li- literally mean, what does the asset base look like in my environment? I haven't gone and taken an inventory in 10 or 15 years. I don't have a current network diagram of my manufacturing facility. So from a TX1 perspective, I think I'd answer the question across two or three different dimensions. One, we think that it is fundamentally critical that the solutions to address these specialized environments have to be OT native. So we have a belief yes. system and, and we, we, we were born out of like native ICS protocols. We started with one protocol. Now we're up to 250 different protocols. So that's really, really important for a whole bunch of reasons. That's probably outside the scope of uh, our conversation here. But it's super important to have very purpose-built solutions that sit in these industrial environments. Taking an IT solution and trying to drive it deep into the lower tiers of the Purdue model is just not going to work for a whole bunch of reasons that this audience will probably understand. I think the other thing that we're doing, it's kind of related to that, is the ability, I think one of our crown jewels of achievements is the ability to do deep packet inspection with these protocols to take preventative action. That's very important. Yeah, that's really important. And because of, I think, the work that Velta and others have done, creating more mature visibility customers out there that are beginning to understand what's out in that environment, they can better address the specific risks they have because they have some acknowledgement of the risk. And then the third thing I'll throw out, this is this does not get as much talk as I think it even deserves at TX1, but your question made me think of it is TX1 participates in something called the Zero Day Initiative, ZDI. Okay. And in partnership with our former parent, Trend Microsystems, we've, over the last three years, we have been finding 62% of the zero-day exploits. And what we do with that, and there's other major companies that participate in this, other major security companies, but it's a bug bounty program. So when somebody finds a vulnerability, they bring it to us. We develop either a software patch or a network virtual patch. We'll publish that out in our pattern updates to our install base and to our partners. And then we'll notify the OEM provider of whatever device or system was compromised, 
we'll share the exploit with them and give them 120 days of confidentiality to go build a fix and manifest it out into their install base. So that's something we do. It doesn't get a lot of attention, but um, we've consistently been finding more than 62% of the zero-day exploits globally. And our customers benefit of that. That is fantastic. I, I love to hear that you're working with the industry. You're working with some very smart people that find and discover these bugs that their entire job is, my guess is sitting behind a computer trying to break things or exploit things, if you would call it, and getting paid to do so. But the the fact that you can take that and materialize it and turn it into a let's help the entire ecosystem, kudos and hats off to you and the team there at TX1 for that. That's phenomenal. Hey, thank so, you, Craig. Thank you. Yep. No, I appreciate it. So tell me a fun fact about you. Give me one thing besides your bald head that I didn't already know. I'm a certified skydiver. Ooh, that's something I've always wanted to do that I I can't bring myself to jump out of a very good plane that can land on its own. But I think I would love the adrenaline jump of doing that. Now, that that's a fun fact about me. But I'll also say I'm a lot much older than the last time I did it. And my jump book doesn't have an expiration date. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not jumping out of planes currently. But in my 20s, I did it quite frequently. And it was a major rush, to your point. It's the biggest rush you'd have of your life to jump uh, out of a perfectly functioning plane at a mile and a half high. Yeah, because I've got a fear of, of height. So I can see if I were up there and someone would gently nudge me and I just kind of fell where that would work. But to, for me to actually take myself and jump out of the plane, that would be tough. That would be tough. All right. So we've, we've covered a lot of different things. I think that for us, there's the market as a whole in the industrial space. It's really becoming more top of mind for boards, for C-suite. And we touched on this a little bit ago. As organizations are beginning to move that direction, we are seeing more board members sitting on cross companies, taking notice of different things and really trying to drive that narrative down. One of the thoughts is, does it make sense to start at the C-level, meaning a CIO or a CISO, and try and bring adoption and bring awareness? Or do you go back to your native roots and you start working with the controls engineers and you start driving the narrative from the bottom up? We hear a lot about asset ownership. It's not going to work if we don't have buy-in from the asset owners. IT can only drive this so far down. What are you guys seeing and where are you finding successes that other organizations may be able to say, you know, maybe we should look at an approach that way? Yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking about that problem because I lead a sales organization and a business okay. development organization. So we try to find what has the most efficacy in terms of like, how do we get our customers to recognize the problem and solve it? Unfortunately, our learnings of the last couple of years have been, we kind of have to talk to the IT and the OT side of the house to try to bring them together. It's not universally true, Craig. I like the idea of calling high and have it pushed down, but all too often, even industrial type companies, the, the CISO, the CIO, they really don't understand the pain of the, the plant operator. That's a true statement. Yep. So it, of course, varies by company, but I would say where we've had the most success is by trying to bring those parties together and address them as different personas. We have become somewhat proficient at pivoting the conversation to the unique needs of each of those stakeholders because they are very different. 
So we haven't found an easy way, Craig. If you can show me an easier way to get to the person that is the stakeholder for the problem, I'd love to learn from you. Right now, we're kind of having a toggle between IT yeah. and IT. We're seeing the same thing. We are trying to identify that persona, but I would agree with you a thousand percent. Every project that we've done that has been the most successful has been when IT and OT work together to come and try and solve the problem jointly as an organization, not a this is your problem or this is your problem. And they're sitting there going back and forth with each other and nobody is fixing the problem. I agree with that too, Craig. A little footnote to my answer that just, this is a minor thing the audience might appreciate. I do feel like as we see these deployments getting adoption in the marketplace, it's becoming very evident that the IT folks kind of have to own the oversight of it. The tools, the SIM, yes. the alerting, that skill base, that infrastructure, that mindset is very conducive to a security, IT security professional. Once you convince the plant folks that you're not going to impair, impair their operations. So the IT to me has an ownership and reporting and management oversight role that is becoming yes. pretty pronounced in my mind. And the OT folks will take that help all day long. And they will because their skill sets are different. The OT teams, the controls engineers, the sometimes they're called maintenance guys are not skilled in the technical aspect of some of these tools and technologies that you guys are providing and other vendors are providing, but they understand the assets. We don't see IT teams being tasked with remediating a PLC. They're not going to come down to that level. But the tools that we're talking about that work in the environment, they understand technology sometimes better than the OT teams do and can kind of bridge that gap some. So, no, great footnote. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Are you guys seeing more global adoption? Are you guys seeing prevalent market share more in the U.S.? Where would you say taking a side, and, and maybe maybe taking a side is not it, maybe including the geopolitical landscape of today, given the events that have unfolded in the last two weeks. Are you seeing more adoption, EMEA, Middle East, US, Asia Pacific? From a global standpoint, what are you seeing the landscape look like? Yeah, I'm probably a little biased in my answer to the question, just based on who I work for. Our technology was invented for a very, very large chip manufacturer that was trying to recover from massive fab shutdowns half a decade ago. So we, our adoption base, the TX1 adoption base has moved from Asia to the West. Now, but globally, uh, taking off my TX1 data set, I'll say it's less geographically oriented and maybe more industry vertical driven. I see semiconductor in part because of the story I just told you, but I think semiconductor because they have their own water treatment plants, they have their own refinery operations, they have their own power generation system. So they check all the boxes of what we call the CISA critical industries in one industry vertical. And the semiconductor manufacturers have pushed this down into their supply chain because the supply chain is very fragile and it's distributed all around the world. Behind that, automotive has been a huge adopter. I think just Probably, again, not just TX1. I think automotive and automotive suppliers, again, because of supply chain, big pharma, okay, oil and gas. So not the answer you're probably expecting, but I think it's a vertical maturity thing more than a geographic location thing. You look back at the critical infrastructure, water, wastewater, you look at power distribution, power generation that are really being driven from a how do we protect the homeland? 
And you hear all the time the geopolitical landscape of protect the power grid, protect the water infrastructure. Those are really key areas as well as we go into this, I would almost call it old, new, uncharted landscaping as we are trying to figure out the new norm. We look back four years, three years ago, I guess, at this point with COVID and how it affected remote access. Organizations got up one morning and their entire work staff was working from home. Well, we as an organization, we as an industry were forced to deal with that. And it was difficult at best from an industrial aspect. How do you have individuals that are responsible for making all the goods we need work from home? It doesn't work that way. Hey, not another footnote. Uh, I'd like to get yeah. your reaction. I know you're interviewing me, but I have a question for you. Sure. Um, you highlighted, I did not touch on water utilities, water treatment, electric utilities. And that's not because they're not important. I actually have a great deal of empathy for the rural water authority or the co-op utility provider. They're getting a lot of guidance. You know, they get the TSA directive. You've got NERC SIP, but they're so fragmented. They don't have the budget. They're, they want to do something and it's very difficult for them to do it. So I don't know if you see it that way, but there's a strong need there. This is a fragile element of our economy, but they really struggle with how do you go and talk to a Velta or TX1 and, and get their problem fixed. They don't have the budget. And I would say you're correct. We work with power distribution generation as well as fresh and wastewater for municipalities to county across the country. So it is a challenge. Some of them, there have been grant money, there's been federal money from CESA, from DHS, from the TSA that have been available to them that they can use to strengthen their cyber posture. That has helped. Again, they rely on the taxpayer dollars for their budget. And those are traditionally, let's say they want to do an increase. They may do an increase for the next three years or five years or whatever that is. And then those funds have to be generated before I think they can use them. So the process is not as simple as what we would call traditional commercial transactions, where you have an organization, either private or public, they have a process that they go through every, let's say, September, October, they create a budget. You have a CFO that says, yep, we like that budget. Here's your money to spend. January 1, they get a checkbook. January the 2nd, they spend all their money, and then they go the rest of the year trying to implement the projects. It doesn't quite work that way from a public sector, but some of the vendors are trying to help them navigate those areas because they recognize the fragile nature of our industrial environment from a critical infrastructure. They see what happened in Texas a couple of years ago when the, the power plant went off in the dead of winter and people froze to death. It's a horrible, bad situation. You look at that and you're like, we have to do better from an economy and a, a country to help protect that. So I wish that there were other plans and programs available because it's not as easy and clean as it should be. Yeah. No. So uh, again, I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, as a taxpayer, I want to be able to flow that money in because I rely on the same electricity and water that, that you do and all of my neighbors do. And I want it to be there when I need it. So and the water be safe to drink. Yes. That's a big key. Yes, for sure. Couple other questions for you, real fast. Sure. What if you obviously there's no magic bullet, there's no one one size fits all for organizations. If you could say, if there's one piece of advice that as organizations are trying to begin a journey or take the first step, 
what's one thing that you would say is critical to begin the process that would help facilitate other things down the road? What's that one piece of advice that you could say, you know what, if you take nothing away from this except this nugget, what would it be? This is directly directed at the audience here. I would say be a thought leader. There's a couple of ways, you know, I was going to say something like, oh, you know, be the thought leader, be the OT person that reaches across the aisle and talks to IT. I think there is such a need here uh, and it's a very pronounced need. It's not fully understood. I think there are tremendous career opportunities here. There's people that are imminently qualified that could step into a role specializing in OT cybersecurity. So I think my one takeaway would be be a thought leader, consider a career in this space because there's plenty of opportunity, plenty of need, and it's not that difficult of a career transition. I'll share with you as somebody who came from the dark side of IT into OT. It's If you commit yourself to it, you'll pick it up pretty quickly and you can make a difference. I would agree with that. My background, and you may not know this, is my degrees in, in accounting. I'm a trained accountant. So I understand finance. I understand the numbers. But I've been doing this. Belt has been in business. This is our fifth year. They say that 10,000 hours of something makes you an expert. Well, I've put in well more than 40 a week for the last five years. And when I do the math, which I'm pretty good at sometimes, I am now an expert, although I don't consider myself one in OT cyber security. So, yep. I love that. I love that. No, I I appreciate it. Great, great job today. I thank you so much for your time. I consider you a friend. You guys at TX1 are a great partner of ours and you're looking forward to continuing. I'd say you're definitely a thought leader and we respect what you guys are doing. The products that you guys have are phenomenal. Well, right back at you, reciprocal feelings. And um, I've learned a lot from you, Dino and Jim, and let's keep moving this ball down the field. Perfect. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time today, Dave. Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Industrial Cybersecurity Insider Podcast. To stay up to date with our latest episodes, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button now. And if you found this podcast helpful or have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave us a review or let us know. If you're interested in learning more about Velta technology and how you can get safer sooner, visit veltatech.com. That's B-E-L-T-A tech.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.